Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Thank you, Brother Ray, for this wonderful piece of music, and good afternoon, everyone. It's so nice to be here with all of you today. It's a beautiful weather, finally it's here, and I hope you're going to enjoy a nice weekend. Sunny weekend. For all of you who are taking notes and you want to know the title of my message, I don't really have one. And that's my usual <laughs> that's my usual problem when I work on my messages. I have always difficult to come with the title. But I have title. If you're a man, you can put the title God, why women. If you're a woman, you can put your title God, why men. So a man was walking along the California beach, it was in a deep prayer. Suddenly, the sky cloud above he says, open, and in a loud, loud voice he heard, Lord. And God said to him, because you have tried to be faithful to me in all ways, I will grant you one wish. So the man excited starts jumping and says, yes, God, build me a bridge to Hawaii so I can drive there every time I want to. I'm afraid of flying. The Lord said, your request is very materialistic. Think of the enormous challenges for that kind of undertaking. The supports to the bottom of the Pacific, the, the concrete and steel it would take. It will nearly exhaust every natural resources I have made. You know, I can do that. I don't have any problem. I can do that. But, you know, think a little, think a little bit more deeply and try to bring, bring glory into my name. So I'll give you Sometimes, just go home and think over it. So the man was thinking, and you know, and the man was still thinking, and the man was still thinking, and eventually says, God, I know. I got it. He says, Lord, I wish that I could understand my wife. I want to know how she feels inside. What she is thinking when she gives me the silent treatment. When she cries. What she means when she says nothing wrong. And how I can make a woman truly happy. So the Lord, after some times, replied, Let's go back to the first demand. You want two lanes or four lanes on that bridge? <laughs> so, brethren, we all know from our experience that men and women become in different packages. And thousands of books have been written about this subject, how different we are. And we and we're still confused. And, you know, there are many things like men, for example, when men gets married, right? His father will come to his son and say, son, before you get married, I want you to know about one very important thing. You know that in life, in marriage, there are three rings. Number one, there is an engagement ring. Number two, there is a wedding ring. And number three, there is a suffering. So you see... There is confusion all over the place, and as much as we are so different, and it's so difficult to understand each other, we can't live without one another. So, brethren, with the time that I have today, I want to show you a few points. Number one, show me the biblical reasons why we are so different, going straight to the Bible. Number two, what is God trying to teach us through this experience of men and women? being totally different. Number, number three, the difference between the old and new covenant of marriage. There is a huge difference. 
And four, briefly talk, if you have time, about other religions and their treatment of women. And number five, connect all these things with the relations of Christ and his church. Just before I start, I just want to maybe talk about point number four. About Talk about other religions. If I would see somebody at my work and anybody who would like to start a search for a true religion, number one advice I'll probably give him, I said, find a religion and find a God. Find a religion that is respectful of women. And you find this the religion that you're going to find the true God. And you, know, you, can walk, you can walk around the world, you can look at all kinds of religions, starting from Judaism. And you will find that women in Judaism, they're second-class citizens even today. I'm not going to mention Muslim countries. You know how women are treated in Muslim nations. You can go across all the globe, all different religions, and you will see it, that women are second-class citizens. Christianity is the only religion, I would say, true Christianity. Because in many Christian churches, the perceptions of women is also skewed. So let's see. What was the biblical reasons why we are so different and why God made us like that? I want you to open your Bible and go to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus 6, verse 2. And most of you have an English version Bible. Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Just by reading simple English translation, doesn't matter what it is. Nothing teaching it doesn't teach, teach us much here, just from these few verses. If you go to Hebrew, you would read something like that. And God spoke to Moses and said to him. And there is the word, I am Yahweh. I appear to Abraham, to Asa, and to Jacob, and there is another name of God, it says, as El Shaddai. By my name, Yahweh, I was not known to them. What's the difference? If we go to Hebrew and we research the words, and you know, when you go and decide to try to figure it out, what is El Shaddai? Shat, that's a Hebrew word. The beginning of God's name. Manifest divine character of a motherhood. The Hebrew word for shot means the breast. It can be the breast of a woman or an animal. And you can check it in a strong concordance. That's the word number 7699. Because the name shows the feminine, the mothering side of God's character. Just think a moment. When God spoke to Moses, he says, you know, he says, you only know my name, Azel Shaddai. What is God trying to teach to Moses? God is God trying to tell to Moses at this time. He says, by this time, you only knew me, my side of God, as a mother. For 2,000 years, for over 2,500 years, that was the only name that your father used to know me as a mother. He says, I brought you into this world. I gave you the birth. I care for you. I give you the food. I, 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 I taught you how to walk. Now, Moses, it's time to grow up. You're not going to call me El Shaddai anymore. You're going to call me Yahweh. That's the father's side 
of God. As children grow up at our home, when they are born, what we can learn from the physical experience? The first thing they need when they are born, they need their mom. They're already connected. They've been in mother wombs for nine months. Now, without the mother care, it's so difficult to raise children. And God is teaching us a very important lesson here. He says, all these years you were walking, I, you know, I took care of you, everything you needed. Now, you have to step up. You have to learn some rules that I have for you. And this, with rules, in comes the discipline. That's what the difference is here. So, brethren, as our children, you know, without mothers, in the early ages, it's so difficult, you know, to raise a child without a mom. And you know that it's possible now. It was so difficult back then. And as this little baby is born, all the nutrients that he gets from the, when it's feed on mother's breast, water, food, minerals, everything come from one source. And to understand some spiritual aspects, you know, we need to understand some physical aspects. And, you know, God is saying to Moses now, you know, guys, it's time to grow up. From now on, I'll give you some rules. And from now on, I'll hold you responsible. So, brethren, if you keep this concept, okay, if you go to Galatians chapter 3, I'll show you what Paul tried to explain to Galatians. The concept of law. And Paul was trying to explain to Galatians in chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, in verse 23, he says, But before faith came, you were kept under guard by, by, by the law, kept for the faith which would, which would afterward be revealed. And verse 24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So you see, the purpose of divine law it's just to teach us the difference between what is wrong, what is right. Between what is sin and what is righteousness. What would become a child, if any child, if we don't teach this child what is right and what is wrong? What would become a child like that? The child would grow up to be totally selfish. Not respecting the rights of others at all. And God is trying to teach us the same lessons. And you know, as parents, we spend countless hours judging the disputes between my son and my daughter. And they know there are some rules at home. And if you break some rules, there are some consequences. And you know, we have to judge. We have to pronounce a verdict if they broke some of the rules. And God is doing the same thing to us. And you know, God is sometimes pronounce judgment against us, you know, and we, we sometimes think it's not fair. We have to go to some trials. But in the end, we all know, we are assured that God loves us as much as we love our children. So, brethren, let's go to the beginning to Genesis. And we'll see about God's intention when it comes to marriage. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
And he says, male and female, he created them. And verse 28 says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fulfill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, and so on. God didn't say here in this verse that men will have dominion and women will be subordinate to men. That wasn't the intention from the first thing from God. The separations came a little bit later when the humanity sinned. But God's original purpose of creation that they will all work in agreement, all work together for the purpose of God. And I'll show you a little bit later. So we all know that. We all are created in God's image, male and female. See, and we can also conclude that, you know, we can say that there is some God of characteristic, God, some characteristic of God that are female, and at the same time, they are male. It's not like two separate beings, just one God expressing different characteristics. So to fully understand what God, the Father, is only about, we need two people. We need male and we need female. So if you go to Genesis chapter, or we're in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 20, so I want you to picture this thing in your mind during the creation process, okay? There is a man, created man, one single man. It's a perfect being, okay? And now in verse 20, And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. doesn't matter how much you love your animals. You might have a nice dog, you might have a nice cat, you might have a nice hamster. You can get together along very well. But you know what? Over a time, you will miss this argument with your wife. <laughs> you will miss it. You can't say to your dog, you can't express your feeling how much you love this dog. And can this dog, as much he will tell you, right, show by some actions how much this dog loves you. But there is no verbal communication. There's not that you can go to dog and say, listen, buddy, you know what I'm going through? Just listen to me, right? You can't do it with animals. But two human beings, wife and man, they can share it. And they can do everything that Adam couldn't do with all the animals. So what God did, in verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from a man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, Wow, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. So just think about it. What God did at this moment was one being created perfectly, fully able to understand and comprehend the characteristic, the image of God as El Shaddai and as Yahweh. At this time, from this one being, the feminine part is taken out of him and put into the woman. What is happening at this process? Naturally, women are more tended now to hear the voice of El Shaddai, the men on the other side pretend to hear the voice of Yahweh. As, as before the one man was in full completeness, full understanding, now these two beings are totally separate. They're not perfect anymore. They need each other to fully understand who God the Father is. Do you, 
Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I hope, you know, I'm not trying to confuse anybody here. So we see the feminine part was taken out of Adam. And now for one perfect being, we have, a, we have two. And, there are, and, there, and now they have to work as a team. As a team to fully understand what God is all about. So brethren, it takes, as people say, it takes two to tangle, right? You can't do it by yourself. It takes two. And God, throughout the scripture, throughout the scripture, from his law, it always says that, you know, we need at least two witnesses to do everything. You understand what I'm trying to say, right? Go to Matthew chapter 16. I will show you something, some beautiful pictures. What God is trying to, how God is trying to, to relate to us. Just the basic understanding of him. Remember the time when Jesus Christ was baptized? When John the baptized, when John baptized Jesus Christ? In, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately. Matthew 3, verse 16, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dog. Why would God choose a dog? To portray his spirit in this this way. Throughout the world, now, when you talk about dove, dove is a symbol of peace. We all know that, right? But also, when doves come together, a female and female and male, they stay for life. They'll never separate from each other. They will stay together as long as one of them died. When this male and female will lay eggs, will hatch two birds, male and female, and they will get together for life. You see? Male will go and gather the sticks, female will build a home. When the early bird at early stages both men and female can feed them. Just for a brief period of time. And you know, I know because my nephew had domesticated dogs. And when the partner gets missing, for whatever reason can be, you know, all things can happen to dogs. The other partner would go so depressed that some of them would refuse to eat or drink in just the matter of days they would die. That's how much they're loved together. That's how much they're bonded together for life. What is God trying to teach us here to the symbolism of a dog as a Holy Spirit? Brother? Now, let's go to the book of law. As I mentioned to you, the double witness law. Why is it so important? Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, it says, One witness shall not raise against a man concerning any inequity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. What God is saying here? Let's say, 
if I have something against Pastor Murray, if it's only me that I show him something which is inappropriate, I don't have to write to come in front of you and accuse Pastor of anybody. As a matter of fact, of anybody, accuse anybody if I don't have other witnesses who saw the same thing. Okay? Go to New Testament. Let's see what Jesus had to say about it. John chapter 8. When he had his discussion with the Jews. John, John chapter 8. And write it verse 13. And the Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. And verse 15 says, You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. What Jesus is saying you can only judge other people by their actions. You don't know their hearts. You don't know their motives. The only thing you can judge them by their actions. And Jesus says, and yet, if I, if I do judge, he says, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. And verse 17, it is also written in your law that, that the testimony of, of, of two men is true. He says, I am one who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me bear witness of me. Two together. Always working together. Hand in hand. You always need a witness in anything. Brethren, God is trying to teach us something through the marriage covenant that he has given us. God is trying to teach us something. All truth is legally established by the testimony of at least two witnesses. That's how it is in the scripture. <coughs> now, when dealing with the divine revelations, okay, many people want to have revelations from God. Many people want to speak in tongues. And they may be, many people say that, you know what? God talked to me last night. How do we know it's true? How do we know it's not true? Let me tell you something. If God pronounced something that is so serious for your life, or for the church, or for the country, he will confirm it twice. And I'll give you an example. Remember Joseph when he, had a, Joseph when he was in prison? And Pharaoh had a dream? Those dream came to him twice. And Joseph says, that, that was the same dream. But God is so sure... To accomplish this thing that he sent it second time just to confirm that it's going to happen for sure. But you go to Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When Paul is addressing the prophets here in the Corinthian church. And he's basically saying the same thing. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 29. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. And verse 33, for God is not out of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And in verse 32, he says, and the spirit of the prophets are the subject to the prophets. You see, if, there is, if I have revelation in church, and I will just jump up and say, you know what, there is a message for the, you know, Church of Burlington. If there is no confirmation that you know what, maybe that's not the message. Maybe I hear some different voice. But if I jump and say there is a message for the congregation of Toronto and the message is this, and the same time I can see, like let's say, Brother Morley will jump up and say, I just received the same message. The same message was confirmed by two witnesses. Now we have to pay attention to what God is doing. We have many self-proclaimed prophets, but we don't have, we don't really have to be afraid of them. Because we know how God works, right? 
So brethren, when it comes to the family unit, it just works the same way. God separated male from female in order to provide a double witnesses in our family unit, and that would establish the truth of God. Just think for a moment. Just think for a moment the concept, right? What I'm trying to tell you here. When man was originally created with male and female, in kind of like a single individual, the man was his God image, having, you know, both, like left, his left brain and his right brain. So male and female, one person. He could discern all the voice of, you know, of, of God. He could discern the voice of El Shaddai. He could discern the voice of Yahweh. Everything would be perfect. Now, this one person is separated into two beings. It's kind of like a... They need a bridge between them. So, you see, when God separated Adam and Eve, just suddenly they become incomplete. They need one another. And just, you know, even science was confirmed that men and women exercise different parts of their brains. You know, and we know that, for example, I was doing some research when I was working on this message, that, you know, the left side of brain, you know, give us a logical ability in our brain, just like how man, that's how man operates. It gives the logical mechanical ability. The right side of brain gives us the artistic, intuitive ability. So we see men and women, they view life from a different perspective. And it doesn't mean that man is right, or the woman is right. We have to look at both sides and put them together. We'll get a true picture in the middle. And you know, and sometimes we're struggling for that because we think that I'm right, and she will say she's right, and she's right, and I'm right. Something wrong here. So we see, the purpose of marriage is to assist each other to better see the side of the other side. As a husband, it's not to dominate my wife, but she should teach me, coach me, how I should understand their side how she thinks, how she sees the world. And turning the things around, she's, you know what? I should also coach her how, how, you know, how I see the world differently than she does. I'll give you an example. If, let's say, God would say, from next week, you have to move to the other city because I have a great work for you there. As a man, how would you react? The first thing would be, what I'm going to do? What I'm going to find the work to support my family? How I'm going to get the money? That's how you, that's, that's how my first reaction will come from the men, right? Am I right? How would the ladies think? Oh, moving again. I'll take my children from school. They'll lose their friends. Okay, they'll go to a new environment. They'll go to a new city. Okay? Now, their social life will be total devastated. They will have to start all over again. The family nest will lose family contact, will lose our friends' contacts. Ladies, am I right? It means that we men are right, or the ladies are wrong? No. If you have to fully understand the full pictures, we have to fully understand and see the both sides of the equation. Brother Ryan read the scriptures today. If you go to First Peter again, just read the scriptures one more time. This time very slow. First Peter, 
chapter 3 and verse 7. Husbands, that's what Peter is saying, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. One verse. What a powerful message. Number one. Man, we might be physically stronger, okay? God give us bigger arms and bigger, bigger muscles than on average the woman's size, on average, okay? But it doesn't mean here that, you, that women come inferior when it comes to their morality or spirituality. Not at all. The scripture doesn't say that. Peter even admonished us here to honor their wives. How are we going to honor your wife if you disrespect your wife? And being in the church of God for over 15 years, I experienced and probably you experienced. You see how married people talk together. And you can see, you can feel the language, how they talk to one another, how they disrespect one another. Have anybody witnessed that? I did. What does it tell you? Does the common behavior, how they communicate to one another, how they express to each other at home, you can't hide it for two, three hours, even at church on a weekly Sabbath. You can't hide it. It tells you a lot. But the scripture says you should honor your wife. Honor your wife. And Peter also says in this one scripture, he's saying, being heirs together. Wife has the same spiritual rights as husband does. She can inherit the spiritual kingdom just the same way like in the Old Testament. Women were not allowed to inherit the land. It's the same concept. The same idea, brethren. So just from the one little scripture. Brethren, let, let us look now and compare two covenants of marriage in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You're thinking, what Jan is talking about? Where is going to go from now on? Go to Genesis chapter 16. We'll be, we'll be talking about Abraham. Genesis chapter 16. How many wives did Abraham have? Hagar. Was Hagar his wife or not? No? Genesis chapter 16, verse 3. Then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her mate, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his... What does it say there? Wife. So Hagar was Abraham's wife. And you know, in the God's love, there is a difference. And I didn't want to jump into the conclusion how the master should treat their slaves. And if their treatment, the master, hurt their slaves so badly they beat them up, let's say that they just lose one teeth, the slave is supposed to go free because of the treatment they receive. So there's, God is talking about mercy, even how we treat your slaves, okay? Why is this so important? Because as a slave wife, she has different rights as Sarah, the true wife. Hagar, on one hand, she has nothing to say absolutely. She just has to obey the commandments. And you know, I don't have time to go through the details, but you know it. She was always property of Sarah. 
And even Abraham said to Sam, you deal with her because she is yours. She never violated the rights of Sarah as a husband. Why is this so important, brethren? Go to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples, in verse 14, Jesus says to them, look what he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. He says in verse 15, no longer I call you servants, for a servant that does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all things that I hear from my father I have made known to you. When God gave the word to Abraham, he did not have to consult with Hagar what he wants to do. But if Abraham wanted to do something that God asked him, he automatically consulted Sarah. And you know, Sarah was a person who made a lot of decisions in the Bible. It was Sarah who proposed to Abraham, he says, there is my slave. You marry her. And Abraham listened to Sarah. And brethren, if you go to uh, if you go to Galatians chapter four, Paul is trying to bring the same concept here in Galatians. Explain to the Galatians again, chapter four. But just before we go there, I just want to explain something, just to make the pictures a little bit clearer. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sign from God, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, the Old Covenant, we're going to go there in Galatians soon. But the Old Covenant was a marriage between God and Israel. Wouldn't you agree? That was the Old Covenant. So in effect, God was marrying a slave woman named Israel. Would you agree with that or no? don't have to. That's okay. She had the same relation to her husband as Hagar had to Abraham. And the children of that marriage could never produce the promise of God. And now, just go to the scriptures. Let the scriptures interpret the scriptures. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And let's start in verse 22. Okay? This is very important. Now Paul is speaking, Hebrew of Hebrews, okay? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. In verse 24, which things are symbolic? Symbolic of what? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. You see the coloration? Mount Sinai and Hagar. I thought that Hagar, would, when we talk about Hagar, would speak about the Arabic people here, about the Muslims. But he's saying, but he's saying, verse 25, for this Hagar, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage, with her children. So let's see if I understand what you guys can get from the same passage. So can you agree that this Jerusalem, that which still is there, 
It's just the physical Jerusalem. And only corresponds to the old covenant marriage, which is still in bondage with his religion today. Would we agree on that? Still in bondage today. So the question is on side. So why happened that so many Christians tried to support this Jerusalem, which is still in bondage, and they would support the Jewish religion as much as they can, and even go more than that, and even Christians about our culture, in the Sabbath-keeping church, they will try to absorb some Jewish custom and bring into the church when Paul says that they are still, you know, as a slave. Because they still don't believe in Jesus Christ. Is my process thinking, am I going along what it says in the Bible or I'm wrong? Would you agree with me or no? Just keep, keep, keep reading. But he says, but the Jerusalem, so there are two Jerusalems, not just one, there are two. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. What is the message from us? What we can read from here? When God separated Eve from Adam, okay, he gave, he gave to Eve one more time. I will repeat this. He gave to woman the El Shaddai portion of his image. To the man, he gave the Yahweh portion of his image. Since each perfectly reflect a portion of his divine nature, okay? There was first no need that one should be in authority over the other when they were in perfect existence back then. When the sin came apart, that's a totally different story. But as a church of God, as a people who claim to be under new covenant, striving for the kingdom of God, we should restore the things that we lost in the beginning. We shouldn't be looking to the bondage. We shouldn't be looking, trying to restore the things that we lost in the garden. See, the goal of marriage is unity. And the path to unity is love. So simple. When Brother Agen gave a Bible study about the almost perfect church that Philippians enjoyed there. And Brother Murray gave a wonderful sermon how we should treat one another. You know, it's a great message, but the difficult part is to practice it. And before I, I'm going to, let's say, before I'm going to treat, let's say, brother or sister the way that that's supposed to be, let's say Sister Tanya, they want to treat her with respect. Before I learn how to treat her with respect, I have to learn how I'm going to treat my wife first. I have to learn that at home, how to respect her, how to give her honor. If I don't know how to do that at home, forget it. I won't be able to do it to you ladies at church. Never be able. I can't do it all the others, okay? It doesn't matter how many of them. If I don't learn this one simple part, to respect my wife. And it goes the other way too. Wife should respect her husband also. That's the unit. One unit. Both of two people. That's the kind of like a laboratory that we should practice our skills at home first. Then we come in church. If we show this unity, this perfect unity at home with my wife, with my family, then we're going to enrich our church. If all of us gather like that, practicing the same thing, 
then we will be like Philippians. And we're always going to honor somebody more than we honor ourselves. We shouldn't have any more problems about personalities and things like that. See, the unity has to do more with being in agreement with one another, just having dominion over one another. That's what it's all about. Christ was in total agreement with his Father. We as a married people, we should be total agreement with one another. And you know, my wife might interpret God's word in a different way than I do. That's okay. She has a different portion of God than I do. But together, when we put all these things together, we see the God, the Father, the way He's supposed to be. I can see it fully. She can see it fully. Together, when you put it in practice, you can talk about this one agreement, being united, being in one flesh. That's what the brethren is all about. So now, when we keep all these things in mind, as I said, when it comes to relation between church and Christ, it just becomes so obvious. And it becomes so, it becomes so simple. See, the church, church, the place where all saints come together, like, you know, like all of us. Indeed, church needs to submit to Christ. Okay? As Hagar had to Abraham. But Christ, listen to this. Christ is not content to remain in such an immature relationship with his bride. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that bride in the Bible is called to grow spiritually until she comes into what? Fully into perfection and maturity. We are called to grow. That's what it's all about. Not we can't just rely on Christ and be in total submission. It's good, but we can't just rely on every day say, Christ, do this for us. Christ, do that for us. Christ, do this for us. Brethren, we have a mandate for Christ, what we are supposed to do here on this earth. And it's clear and it's simple. Okay? That's what it's all about. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. I'll show you. If you just forget what I'm saying today, if you just go home and we just remember, if you just kind of like remember, uh, remember one thing in your head, that one can only learn to rule by learning how to be ruled by others. There's no any other way around. And it's a process. There is just step. Revelation chapter 20. <coughs> Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. <coughs> Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But look at this next part. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And they shall reign with Christ a thousand years. Did you get it? Did you catch it? With Christ. What Christ wants us, He wants us to come to the, same level, to the same, same level of agreement that He had with His Father. Just put ourselves down and bring what is Christ. And we all come to this thing. We all learn how to do it at home. It will be easier for us how to do it at church. So brethren, we as a church of Christ, we do have real authority. We don't just wait for our Lord to do everything for us. Church is in fact growing spiritually in order to learn how to exercise authority in earth. So she can do the same thing as her husband, brethren. And that this can only work properly if she, we, with we as a church, is in full unity with Jesus Christ. Brethren, if you go to Hebrew, there is a wonderful scripture. 
Hebrew chapter 8. It's actually a quote. It's taken directly from, a, from Jeremiah chapter 31. And starting in verse 7, it says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for the second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the that I took them by the hand and lead them out of the land of Egypt. But you know, verse 11, just keep down to verse 11. That's the, that's the point, that's the highlight. He says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. That's the ultimate fulfillment in God's kingdom. That every single one of them, every single human being that was alive and will be alive, that we're going to come to this point, brethren. And why is so important? You know, when you come to this point, then we can, we can, when you come to this point, we can say that God's law has been finally fulfilled. Would you agree with me? That's how it's going to come. The law itself, which reflects the nature of God, that defines his will, his character. It's just like, you know, this law being eaten, like, you know, we participate in leavened bread, being eaten, okay? We assimilate it, and we absorb it into our hearts, into our minds, into our being, and we just became as Christ was. Perfect, flawless. So then, there will be no need to put ten commandments on the table and engraved in any form. There will be no need for this because these Ten Commandments will be in each heart, every single heart in us. There will be no need to go and study the Bible, how to treat one another, because it will be in your heart. Just like this. We'll be a new people. We'll be a, we'll be a new brethren. So when we finally arrive at this place, then the law, a set of external commandments will pass away. For its external form will no longer be needed. Unity, unity will replace authority. Unity will replace authority. And if you go to Corinthians, my final scriptures today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul is saying the same thing in a beautiful chapter, resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. Let's start in verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by men came death, by men also came the resurrections of the dead. For as, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. And look at verse 24. And then at the end of everything, all of this, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all, and, and all power. 
because at that time we'll be a perfect human we'll be a perfect I don't know if I should say human but we'll be in a God's family a perfect creatures and you know something like word we, didn't, we wouldn't probably, probably know what selfish means we'll be, we'll be ready to serve one another as Christ served his father so brethren a husband authority in the area of decision making is only relevant in the old covenant let me explain something okay I'm not saying that we should be perfect because as we act as we learn okay each marriage expressed old covenant and new covenant okay we need to forget about ourselves while we're here and sometimes we start, start shouting we're going back to the old covenant but as, as we remember what we are here how we should treat one another that's what God wants us to move from the old covenant transfer us to the new covenant of love that's how it is. That's why we need the rules. That's why we need the regulation to teach us while we're here on this planet Earth. But brethren, God expects us that we will move every day, every month, that we will move forward. That we will learn what the agape love is all about. That's what it's all about. And the best place, the best, the best place to learn that to practice this agape love is nowhere else than is your home and is your wife and your children. May God bless you, brother. Thank you so much. This podcast was brought to you by the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out more, visit us on the web at cgiburlington.org.